All clear behind. Going over now. The entry to the sub-aqua world. Totally different world. Under It's amazing, you know, the different... It's totally different, very peaceful, you know. A world not to be enjoyed without a caution. Now, we're all entitled to get frightened underwater or overwater. And this is a healthy thing. It's a safety factor. There's nothing to be ashamed of about getting a fright or being fearful. The important thing is not to allow fear to take over. Then it becomes irrational panic. You forget everything you've ever been taught and you're in a blind panic. The instructor, Shane Gray, talking to potential scuba divers. Men and women who are preparing to join about 2,000 others in Ireland whose recreation is enjoyed under the water in the sub-aqua world. I started diving way back in uh, 63, which seems an awful long time ago now. In those days, there were very few divers in Ireland. And uh, there happened to be a group of army officers down in the Curra who, who got the idea of starting a, a sub-aqua club in the Curra of all unlikely places, mainly perhaps because there was a, an indoor pool there and there weren't many of those around at the time. And I started there. And then? Well, I've been diving ever since. Uh, I've lived most of my, my life since then in, in Dublin, in the Dorky area, and uh, I've been able to, to use the sea there and, and um, dive ever since. And, of course, I've dived abroad and holidays and so on. But I've, I've uh, maintained a, a tremendous interest in the sport since then. And you as an army officer are one type of person who's taken to it. What's the general trend? And who, who goes scuba diving? Well, nowadays, of course, as, as you're well aware, there's a tremendous uh, interest in all the, what we might call the adventure sports, and uh, there's tremendous encouragement for young people to take up these sports, such as uh, canoeing and um, sailing, mountaineering and so on. And diving as a sport has benefited from this general movement. All sorts of people take up diving. There, you, you couldn't categorise the, either the types or the, the uh, age groups or whatever. I find myself meeting so many new trainees all the time. I'm, I'm constantly amazed by the very broad um, spread of, of people, both by ages and by occupations and, and uh, social strata and so on. Literally anyone can, can take up diving from a teenager to a grandmother, and we, we've had both of those. How deep do you go? Uh, the type of diving we're talking about, scuba diving or sport diving, 150 feet is reckoned to be the safe limit, generally. Uh, there are various reasons for this, uh, simply stated. Air, using compressed air, which of course we use. Some people are under the misapprehension or the, that we, we use oxygen. We don't use oxygen, of course, we use compressed air. Compressed air uh, has this limitation. Below 150 feet, things begin to go wrong with air. Nitrogen causes problems, and indeed oxygen causes problems. So commercial divers who go down to six and 700 feet have to go on to mixtures. They substitute the um, nitrogen in the air with helium and they reduce the oxygen content as well. So they're on to rather complicated mixtures of oxyhelium. So our type of diving, 150 feet. In this country, uh, on the west coast where, where the, the good diving is, the best diving is, the favoured range for diving would be probably between, let's say, 50 feet and 130 feet. People would rarely go down below 130. 
Before the would-be diver gets under the water, there's a great deal to be learned. We always dive in groups or in pairs, and we call this principle the buddy system. In other words, two divers are always interdependent underwater. And I did say last week, if you recall, that the buddy system starts when? On the surface, before you get in. In other words, you check each other's equipment. There are pre-dive checks. Check that your air is fully on, cylinder turned on, that your contents gauge is reading full, that your equipment is functioning, that you have all your equipment on, you haven't forgotten anything. And then divers will discuss the dive, decide what they're going to do, be quite clear in their minds what they're going to do on the dive, what depth they're going to go to, what's the objective of the dive, which of the two are leading the dive, and then they will exchange dive signals to confirm that they're quite familiar with their dive signals. We'll be doing the dive signals in a few minutes. So this is the buddy system. And then, of course, underwater, you never lose contact with each other. You never lose visual contact with each other. So this is vital. Obviously, if you lose visual contact, then the buddy system is broken down, and the drill would be to surface immediately, to surface, provided we have the coolness of mind, the composure to breathe out, to exhale, <coughs> excuse me, to exhale continuously during the ascent, isn't that it? If we didn't exhale during the ascent, of course, what would happen? The lungs would burst, burst lung, which leads to an air embolism, bubbles of air in the bloodstream, one of the most dangerous conditions in diving and one we must avoid and it's so easy to avoid all we must do is never hold our breath always breathe normally and exhale during ascent again the obvious safety factors if you're going inside a ship inside a wreck there are several things may occur you may stir up a lot of dirt that's been lying around and the whole area may become clouded and you may have difficulty finding your way out so you always bring a rope in with you. You trail a rope behind you so that you can always retrace your steps. And another important aspect in that regard is you must tie, if you open doors, you must tie them open so they won't shut against you. Another uh, hazard, possible hazard in, in wreck diving is the movement of heavy materials. You may disturb uh, materials which may fall and you may become trapped. So you have to move carefully, gingerly around the place. And sharp edges is another hazard to yourself and to your equipment. You must be careful that uh, you don't uh, come across sharp edges. Uh, that's about it. It's common sense, really, on uh, wreck diving. Common sense and a reasonable degree of fitness. The Irish Underwater Council, which is the governing body for the sport in Ireland, uh, applies uh, its standards very strictly, and anyone who, who uh, wishes to partake, partake in the sport must have a, a medical test, a special medical test, which the council lays down. And again, it's not uh, extraordinarily difficult. If, as I said earlier, the lungs and the heart are in the right place, um, and you've no extraordinary defect, say, with the ears or, or the sinuses, there's no reason to worry about a medical 
That point cleared, it's open to anyone who can swim from 17 up to get into sub-aqua exploration. Um, about 19 years ago, I started diving, but I only had a one season and then three children came in the way and I took it up again about four years ago and I've been very keen ever since then. What's so enjoyable about it? Uh, the peace, peace and quiet underwater and beautiful scenery, really, you know, beautiful colours, beautiful fish life, rock formation. It's, it's got to be seen to be believed. Well, you talk about the quiet under the water, but there's noise under the water, isn't there? Uh, nicer noises, soft bubbling sounds and, uh, you know, nothing unpleasant that grates on the ear. Very peaceful. Where have you been diving apart from around Dublin? Um, Clare Island in the west of Ireland, that's beautiful. Um, around Valencia Island, Donegal. Um, I also had um, a trip to the Red Sea. It was lovely there. You don't have to go deep there at all, just lie on the surface and look at it. It's beautiful there. Are you going to keep on doing it? Oh, yes. Yes, as long as I can. Oh, are you an unusual woman? No, there, there are many other mothers of families, you know, with small children who dive. And it, it has no effect whatever? No, no. The children dive too, well... The eldest one dives, the others just snorkel. And uh, you're going to, obviously the whole family's going to keep it up. Oh yes, a family of water babies. But they have a few years yet before they learn this routine. So first of all you have the trousers, neoprene rubber trousers, nylon lined on both sides, and these are what we call the long john trousers, which come right up over your shoulder and fasten at the shoulder with a Velcro fastener. Some of them, not all of them, have zips at the ankles to enable you to get in and out more easily. So, uh, frankly, I'm not in favour of zips at the ankles because zips are the one things that go wrong in suits. They require great care. However, if there are zips, naturally you open the zips before you get into the suit. So that's the, the trousers. And the next item on, then, is the jacket fits over the long john trousers and as you can see it has a full zip all the way down the front right up to the chin so you just put it on like a conventional jacket and zip it up to the chin again there may be zips at the wrists to make getting in and out easier so of course ensure that you do open the zips and avail of them if they are there finally the stud fasteners down at the bottom Again, there's no force required, a little bit of care. They just press together like that. And particularly when taking them off, people tend to pull at them and they are delicate enough. It's just a question of getting your fingers in behind there, look. And they release themselves. Just get your fingers in behind and pull the stud. Those are the two parts of the suit. And then, of course, you have the booties. They will go on over the trouser legs, up over the zip, the booties or the socks, and finally the mitts. Now you put the mitts on last of all. You will have to fit your mask and snorkel, your life jacket, and your weight belt. And what occurs to you about the weight belt in relation to the life jacket? It must be below it and outside it. In other words, your weight belt goes on last. 
so that if you have to <coughs> flick it in an emergency, it falls away, it's not going to get caught in anything. So we said trousers, jacket, booties, and then your life jacket goes over that, and finally a weight belt. Then, of course, you have your mask, snorkel and fins, and right down at the water's edge, you fit your mask, snorkel and fins, and finally the, the gloves or the mitts, because you're a little bit awkward with the mitts on for making those final adjustments, so they go on last of all. Before the sea, the calmer waters of the training pool. And we'll practice what we did last week, recovery of equipment. Hold your fins in your hand, face me in a line, and start the deep breathing again. Six deep breaths, come on. Should have the mask and snorkel on everywhere now. Mask and snorkel on, fins in your hand, fins in your hand. Six deep breaths, then you know what has to be done. Fall back gently, taking an ordinary breath. Fall back gently and try to fit your fins on one breath, sitting on the bottom. Sitting on the bottom. Okay, let's hear the breathing now. Six deep breaths, holding the fins, relaxing completely. Relaxing. Don't kick your legs there, relax completely. Now, when you're ready, an ordinary breath, fall back, make yourself sit down on the bottom of the pool and fit your fins. That's good. That's the idea. Good. Good. Did you get that, Evelyn? Did you get it? Didn't get that, no? Okay, we'll just try that once more. Just a couple of you having difficulty down at the end there. We'll just try that once more. Now take your time again. Don't rush, take your rest, your six deep breaths and relax. Take those couple of minutes to relax, compose yourself, concentrate, try it again. Let's see everyone getting it this time now. Now even if you're not sinking perfectly, the exercise is to do it on Right, now you know the routine again. Relaxing, relaxing, relaxing. Deep breathing, concentrate. This time, look, we're going to walk out slowly and we're going to try and sit down beside the equipment. Fit the fins first, remember? Fins first, always. You will be able to see sufficiently to see the outline of the fin and then fit the mask and snorkel. Now you're going to have to concentrate, really work hard on relaxing. Don't rush it. It doesn't matter if you don't get it all done. Just work slowly and each time you try you will get better at it. It's just practice, practice, practice. Right. Just face that way now and let's see you deep breathing and relaxing. When you're ready, walk out slowly. Sit down beside the gear. That's good. One up, two, good. Now, let me see you clearing the mask. Sorry, I wasn't watching you. Just try, have another go. Look, before you go down, remember the principle is the heel of the hand, the heel of the hand against the top of the mask, and at the same time, look, 
Blow hard through the nose. Now just put the mask on and do it for me above the surface. Just let me watch the technique. Show me the technique. Just put it on. Now let me see you trying to clear. That's the idea. Make sure you're pressing hard against the forehead. That's the idea. Look up at the ceiling when you're doing it. Try it again. Good. Now try that underwater. Just put it on the on the forehead. Now remember, don't worry about fitting the mask properly. Just roughly fit the mask and press to clear. Right. Have a go. That's the idea. That's the idea. Now you're spending too much time fitting it. Look. Look at me. One hand, roughly fitted, and immediately and blow hard and press hard. Now, you have the idea, but you're just being too fussy about fitting it. Just try it again. Roughly fit it. Doesn't matter if it's not on properly. That's much better. You're still not getting it cleared, are you? No. Nearly clear. Now, again, it's just a matter of pressing hard enough and blowing hard enough. And one thing, you're not taking a good breath before you go down. You want a, f a lung full of air, right? So make sure you take a good breath before you go down and blow it all into that mask this time. Now try it again. Right, back to the wall again, please. What started you on this? Uh, just saw an ad in the paper. And uh, I always had the intention to take it up, you know. And um, I was just thought it would be a good opportunity to do some sport during the winter, you know. How are you doing? So, um, pleased enough with my progress, you know. Happy enough. What about you? Uh, likewise, I saw an ad in the paper, and I've been wanting to do it for years, since about two years ago, and I had the money this year, so I decided to take it up. Have you any fear at all about it? Not really, no. At times you do get out of breath and you become scared, but not really. Well, I've always been interested in water, water life, and I've always liked swimming. And then the opportunity came up, seeing it was so near home, that I decided I'd try it on the course and see what it was like. So I enjoyed it and I started it. And I hope to join the club now. We've gone away on a few weekends. I've had five or six dives, and it's very interesting. Doesn't worry you at all. Sorry? Doesn't worry you at all. No, no, I've never been frightened at all. Even in the book now you're reading you know, about the different dangers of diving and that. But it doesn't worry me. If you take care of yourself, if you do what you're meant to do, there's no need to worry at all. But what about you, Sheila? Well, I started for the same reasons Evelyn did. She found it in the paper and uh, she asked me did I want to come along. And when we came along first, uh, we were very supportive. The first time we went, you know, we came in the pool, we thought it was very enjoyable. And then we decided to stay and we just came back for a few uh, refresher courses this time, just before we go out and see again, you know. You, you've, you've been down with an aqualung before, have you? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've made about six, five, six dives. And we've been away on the weekends. The club have weekends, you know. Mm -hmm training weekends. At the, at the end of every training session you have a weekend away. Do you do it just for exercise or what? No, no. Oh, well, I like, I, it's very, very interesting. It's a totally different world. Under It's amazing, you know, the different... It's totally different, very peaceful, you know. Tell me about it, go on. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I was just amazed at all the different plant life and everything. Sea uh, and NMI and, every, like, everything is alive underneath, you know. And the different things you find in Sandy Cove are amazing in the harbour. <laughs> Bottles and things. What about you, Evelyn? Well, when we went diving in Wexford, it's like a, 
a forest yeah. down there. You have all these ridges and the seaweed like are like, like trees and you have little ridges in between and fish. you have fish swimming underneath and you've got crabs and it's fantastic and the colour scheme is only fantastic well. down there. We collected a lot of starfish, we brought them home, but they were all rotten by the time we got them home. I've been pinned up at home on the wall, you get sea urchins and you can actually play with the fish. fish we're playing yeah. with dogfish down there because they're really quiet, they don't mind you, you know. Dogfish, but no mermaids, just real underwater women. Now, looking at the gear, all this appears a bit expensive. Everything seems to be expensive nowadays. <laughs> Diving equipment is certainly expensive. But as a sport, uh, I would say it's not, it's not excessively expensive. Uh, and this is perhaps a fallacy about the sport generally, I think, in the public mind. I always make the comparison with golf. I would regard golf as, as a very expensive sport. And I would certainly regard diving as a much less expensive sport. For instance, if you wish to uh, equip yourself fully with diving gear, you're talking about an investment in the area of four to five hundred pounds. But that four to five hundred pounds equips you for virtually a lifetime's diving. You will not be faced with major recurring capital costs. So if you like to consider that four or five hundred pounds as an investment spread over at least ten, ten years, twelve years, it doesn't come down to very much, forty or fifty pounds a year, if you like to look at it that way. And really, as I said, there are no capital costs after that. You get your, your cylinder, your diving cylinder charged uh, with compressed air for 50 pence, something nominal, and that's it. You, you don't have any other major expenses, really. But four or five hundred pounds is quite a bit for a young person to raise. It's quite a bit, yes, but um, you see them driving cars and, and spending that sort of money in, in other areas, and it depends how keen they are. You'll find that young people... If they're keen enough to take up a sport, they, they'll uh, they'll make the sacrifice and they'll get the they'll get the equipment together. Of course, it's not necessary to to make that investment initially. The way our own little uh, school works is that uh, we provide all the equipment for training, so no one is faced with any investment until they're qualified, and then they can acquire the equipment gradually. They still have the use of our equipment so the, they can continue to dive and gradually acquire their own equipment bit by bit. This eases the, the burden somewhat. You say qualified. How do you become qualified? How do you become qualified? Well, again, as I mentioned, the Irish Underwater Council is, is the governing body for the sport in Ireland, and it, in turn, is affiliated to a world body, CMAS, which is based in France. And diving uh, standards are uh, strictly um, applied in this country, these international standards by the council. And so there's an international system of, of uh, grading of divers. Diver one star, two star and three star. And uh, we, we um, test people, uh, prepare people for these tests and test them and they get the appropriate certificates in their logbook then. So uh, divers are obliged to have a logbook and uh, to show evidence of their qualification and clubs uh, like ourselves, of course, run these courses and provide the facilities for people to become qualified. Very briefly, a diver one star would be the basic qualification. And this, if you like to use the, the driving analogy, this would be like a, a provisional driver, a provisional driving licence. As I'm sure you know, uh, diving is a sport you don't uh, participate in alone. You don't dive alone, you must dive with somebody. So the provisional diver or the one-star diver would have to dive with a qualified diver, with a two-star. 
That's the only limitation on his activity. Once he has uh, completed a total of 15 dives, uh, he can then undergo a test, a water test and a theory test. And then he, uh, if he's successful, then he's a two-star diver. And that's the, the full qualification, really. There is a third star, uh, the advanced grade. This would be something that only 10 or 15% of divers would go on for. People who want to do instruction or become club diving officer, club chairman, this sort of thing. sound on the top, but a very different sound below. Out on Dorky Sound, an inflatable boat, gear is tested before a dive. Sometime later. Oh, I see a group up. Okay. We're going to pick them up now and get the engine started. Are you okay? The first bottles come ashore. Or into the boat anyway. All bottles are unloaded off the diver's back before they come back into the boat. Two pieces of shell salvaged from the bottom. It's alright to pick up a piece of shell, but not a shellfish. Have a little knife. Very nice. Weights. Very clear. Yeah. Thank you. Hold the boat. Let's see. Okay, chaps, in you got. Give me your bottle there. Okay, I've got it. In you come. about 10 meters. Yeah. It got very dark then after visibility, yeah. next to nothing. After that? Yeah. After that, yeah. 12, so in 40 meters, yeah. it was very dark. Yeah. Up to 10 meters, quite nice. good. Nice. Yeah. You were diving on a wreck this morning, I believe, Dieter. I was out uh, off 
Lamb Bay Island. Uh, Lamb Bay Island Hoot. Uh, I believe it's. It must have sunk what some hundred years ago, isn't it? And uh, the wreck is actually totally shattered. It's in bits. I mean, once it's bits here, bits there. But it's quite a spooky impression when one gets there, right, and looks at it. You know, we're all uh, grown with that uh, sea grass and all that. It's quite a nice impression for the first time for me, anyway. Everybody's back in the boat again now. How was it? Grand, not bad at all. Cold. I didn't see very much, but it was okay. Pleasant. How, how long have you been at it? Uh, this is the third season now. Started in February 78. And uh, going into the third season now. What about you? Well, this is I'm about 12 months at it now. You're the heaviest man in the party. <laughs> and how. <laughs> I'm close on the 16 stone mark. Physically fit. As you, as you just seen how far I could swim, and how the backpack stood up to my extreme weight when I fell on it, which means I'll have to repair that. That's diving for fun. The enjoyment of the freedom of what Jean-Jacques Cousteau called the silent world. But there are other people who dive with a serious purpose. The Garda Sabaqua unit, for example. And there are others who go hunting. International spearfishing is a sport, of course, which is a, a very big sport in some parts of the world. Uh, not in this country, indeed. In my younger days in, in uh, diving, I used to spearfish internationally, and we we uh, competed in world championships in Chile and South America and uh, Sicily, and we sent teams to um, Cuba and so on. And in these parts of the world, it's it's a big sport. And the standards that can be achieved by these people who are virtually professionals, of course, they're fishermen, most of the, certainly the South Americans who could compete internationally, they would be going down to 100 foot uh, on a breath, holding their breath, going down to 100 feet and staying perhaps for two and a half minutes down there. So well, these are the sort of standards that can be achieved w with training. I believe you mustn't steal anything underwater. Well, there is a, a law in this land, in Ireland, uh, which is by no means widespread throughout the world, but the law of the land here is that uh, divers must not take any form of shellfish. Uh, this would include, of course, lobsters, crayfish, scallop, uh, crabs, all the, all the things that are nice to eat, unfortunately. Uh, this has been the law of the land since 1966. It was really brought in... Uh, it was aimed at commercial fishing to, to prevent divers from doing any sort of commercial fishing which would threaten perhaps the livelihood of, of uh, the traditional pot fishermen. And in, as you know, the, the, the pot fishing is, is a traditional way of life, particularly around the West Coast, uh, where you have small farmers who, who do a bit of pot fishing and that. So the spirit of the law really initially was to prevent commercial exploitation of shellfish by divers. Unfortunately... It was a blanket ban. It was thing, it's a thing that divers felt and, and still feel rather bad about that one lobster can't be taken home for the tea table. But that is the law, unfortunately, and it is rigidly uh, enforced by the Irish Underwater Council and by clubs, members of the council. What happens if I dive on a wreck? Can I keep what I find? Uh, no, indeed. Uh, the law of the land there states, and of course this is really in line with international law too, I'm sure it applies in every country, that there is a receiver of wrecks and uh, if you discover a wreck you're obliged to 
report it to the receiver of RECs, or if you salvage anything, you report to, to declare it to the receiver of RECs. There is a system of uh, rewards then. There's another practical application of scuba diving. Martin Linney, who's curator of the Natural History Museum in the Department of Zoology at TCD, also heads the department's underwater unit. It never really ceases to amaze me because there's always something new to be found, in fact, um, down there. But um, I think uh, most people in general are not aware, in fact, of the abundance and variety of marine life that does exist around our coastline. What do you find down there? Well, essentially there are two uh, main kinds of life to be found in, in the sea. Um, on the one hand, you've got the floating and swimming organisms which inhabit the waters above the actual sea bottom. Now these animals will include um, the tiny microscopical organisms which form the, the plankton. And then there are the jellyfishes and sea gooseberries, um, the various types of worms, and of course the multitude of fishes. Then, um, on the other hand, you've got uh, the animals which live in or on the actual seabed itself. Uh, these would be mainly invertebrate animals, that is, animals that don't have backbones, in fact. Uh, these would include animals like sponges, sea anemones, uh, the various types of shellfish like mussels and oysters, and a great variety of crustaceans. And the west coast against the east coast? Well, the west coast is uh, generally a far better place to dive because um, the visibility, which is all important, um, tends to be a lot better over on the west coast than it does on this coast. So, um, therefore, most people tend, uh, when they go off for diving weekends, to head west and um, do most of the, their diving over there. But you've done some, uh, if I may describe it, inland diving. Yes, well, in um, the Department of Zoology um, in Trinity, uh, we've been doing some work in the Burren, which is in northwest Clare, a very famous and beautiful part of Ireland, as you know. And um, we've been doing some diving in Torlocks. Now, Torlocks uh, are also called disappearing lakes, and um, they consist mainly of water that has um, drained into areas, certain areas, forming uh, small lakes. The animal life uh, in the Torlocks tends to consist of small invertebrate animals, um, such as snails, insect larvae, mites, and smaller animals. So obviously you don't get um, the spectacular large animals such as are found in the sea. But on the last occasion there, when we were, we were diving there recently, we did come across an eel of about 18 inches in length, and this is probably the, the largest um, type of animal you would find in a turnock, in fact. What about photography under the water? Yes, well, in fact, when most people take up uh, diving, uh, after they've overcome the initial uh, training programme and procedures, they tend to branch off into some aspect of diving to make life a bit more interesting for them. And uh, underwater photography is becoming increasingly popular. For a few, the sport of scuba diving is a starting point for a career. ANCO trains divers at Dunmore East for professional diving work. John McConnell explains. We're concentrating at the moment on the air diving because this is the entry point to the trade. Um, we have been working towards this for a number of years. In the interim, to allow some Irishmen to gain access, to, certainly to the offshore business, to the deep diving side, we have sent to date six young men to the United States for training. Three of them are back, three of them are currently completing training at the moment. And I'm glad to be able to say that the three lads who have come back have all managed to get some offshore experience. Um, 
we were asking these young men to go out and do all their training overseas because we didn't have the facilities here at that time. But this did cause us some problems. It's asking a lot of a young man to start from scratch to try and learn the whole trade in six months. As well as that, there's a natural tendency if a chap goes to the west coast of America to come back to think that uh, he's got something special. And there was could be a tendency for him to climb up other divers and holes. <laughs> so we've now decided that having established the facilities here, we will now train them through their basic training here, let them work for a year to 18 months in the air range, and we'll take the best of those guys and then subsequently send them for the deep sea training. And when we say the best, uh, I largely refer now to a matter of personality, their ability to handle the rigours of offshore life. The major difference between the sport diver and the professional diver is, I would say, one of attitude. The sport diver dives because he wants to, because he enjoys it, because he can dive during the summer when the sun is shining, because he can go to see interesting things underwater, chase interesting sorts of fish, and by and large enjoy the underwater environment. The professional diver dives basically because he has to. He is earning his living. The Raptures of the Deep sounds like the title of a novel. It isn't. That's right, Raptures of the Deep is, is the popular name for um, nitrogen narcosis. And uh, this is a phenomenon, it's just a, a medical fact of life which we can't escape. It's when we start to breathe uh, air under pressure, the partial pressure of the nitrogen, and of course nitrogen represents about 80% of the air we breathe, the partial pressure of the nitrogen has this effect, this narcotic effect on the central nervous system. And the effect is precisely uh, uh, as if we were drunk. So, in fact, this is another medical limitation on the depth we can dive to, as I said, 150 feet. Around the 150-foot mark, one could expect serious onsets of this uh, phenomenon, this raptures of the depth. And uh, the effect underwater would be uh, sort of lightheadedness, um, perhaps uh, nausea, uh, physical clumsiness, uh, loss of judgment. And, uh, you know, one might be tend to do foolish things like continue to go down deeper and deeper and disregard uh, one's uh, contents gauge and run out of air and this sort of thing. So it's a, it's a very easy uh, phenomenon to deal with, in fact. You, you become aware of the symptoms and the thing is to recognise the symptoms and take remedial action. Remedial so action is very simple. You just come up to a lesser depth. You don't have to surface, just come up to perhaps 100 feet and the symptoms wear off and there's no hangover, not like the other uh, form of drunkenness. <laughs> the sea is unforgiving. It doesn't tolerate foolishness or carelessness, but its underworld has added a new dimension to play space and recreation. It's very, very interesting. It's a totally different world.